last week we talked about a verse in James. James chapter 4, verse 8. Really simple verse. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's a promise. And James also says that if anyone lacks wisdom, that ever happened to you when you're in a situation, you're like, I don't know what to do. Uh, James makes this, James, by the way, Jesus' half-brother, uh, so he knows some stuff. He's, he makes us this promise. He says, if you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Uh, I have been counting on both of those promises big time lately because uh, I've had to make some decisions. Uh, but if you ever have a, decision, it's a, a situation where you had to make a decision and you're just trying so hard to know God's will and it just doesn't come? <laughs> that ever happened to you? Uh, you ever had to make like a really simple, easy decision, like something that should not be a big deal, but you're like going back and forth like, I don't know what to do. What do we do in this situation? Like, like here's one that I've been, uh, it's happened to me many times. I'll say I've been the victim of this situation. Uh, my wife, Brittany, and I, we're, we're very close with her sister, Josie, and her uh, Josie's husband, Josh. And uh, so occasionally when we're together, we'll, just, we'll plan to go out to eat. We're going to go out to dinner. And the breakdown happens something like this. Either Brandy or Josie will say to the other, where do you want to go eat? And the other one will say, I don't care, where do you want to go? And then the first one will say, well, I don't really have a strong opinion. Where, what sounds good to you? And the other one will say, oh, I'm good for whatever. What sounds good to you? And this is the part where my brother-in-law usually says something like, here we go. <laughs> and he'll look at me and say, dude, this is my life. Right? You ever have that happen to you? Like, not a big deal. Uh, I've stepped in that mess so many times. Sometimes things that shouldn't be hard to figure out, they just are. I don't know if that happens to you, uh, but man, it's happened to me. I found myself on this carousel of indecision Sometimes I get on that same carousel when it comes to things that really do matter. And that's when it gets pretty excruciating. Uh, you ever find yourself just struggling to find out what God's will is? And maybe you'll pray something like this, which I have prayed thousands of times, so don't feel bad. God, would you just show me what to do? Like, just tell me what you want. Just, just show me where you want me to go and what you want me to do. I had to make a pretty critical decision uh, recently. You may have heard about that. Uh, one that would impact a whole bunch of people that I really care about. And I'll be honest, it was awful. It was, it was a difficult experience. Uh, I wish that I was like the hyper-spiritual man who would say, like, I had this great awakening. The Lord just, you know, just shined the light from heaven right off the thing I should do. Uh, it can be really hard to discern between God's voice, my voice, the voice of reason, uh, the voice of circumstance, the voice of obligation, the voice of uh, advisors. Like, there can be a lot of voices, and pretty soon you're like, I wish I actually had less information right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just going all over the place. And this is what happens oftentimes to me, and I'm certain that it's happened to almost all of us. In our desire to be where God wants us, and to do what God's telling us to do, Sometimes we end up getting so stressed out and analytical about little things that we completely miss the big, huge thing that God is calling us to work. We get stuck on this carousel sometimes about where we want to go to dinner. And what usually happens in that conversation is I'll usually jump in and say, let's go to X. Because actually, I don't care where we go to eat. But the big picture for me is I just want to hang out and spend time with these people that I love. So let's just get somewhere and do it. Like, that's the big picture for me. I just want to spend time with them. I don't care about the restaurant. That's the big idea. The big idea matters more to me. I don't want to get caught up unnecessarily in inconsequential things. 
Uh, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but man, I've been there, uh, especially if you're a detail person. And it's, it's really, really easy. Finding God's will in my experience has not ever been about analyzing every little decision. I never at once you know, pulled into the parking lot of Costco and stopped and asked God where I should park. <laughs> Although, there are days when maybe I should try that. Uh, but I've never done that because it's, it's a pretty inconsequential decision. I just find the first spot and start walking. I've never, I've never taken a prayer sabbatical and asked God, should I get a cat? I think we all know clearly God's will for that situation. It's a, it's a fairly inconsequential thing. So here's what I want to do. Um, I want to share a story with you from the Bible. Eventually we're going to end up in Nehemiah chapter 6. If you have your Bible with you or you're using a device. Um, but let me just start with this quote from a pretty well-known pastor and leadership thought leader named Andy Stanley. He said, as the vision gets clearer, the options get fewer and the decision gets easier. Yeah, kind of a, kind of a three-step process, right? So if you just kind of pick that apart. As, as your vision of where you're trying to go, as that gets clearer, then all of a sudden, all of these options you may have, some of them become non-options because they're going the wrong direction. And then when you weed away some of those, uh, those options, your decision actually becomes a lot easier. Okay, so believe it or not, Brandy and I have had disagreements periodically uh, in our marriage in our 24 years, usually because she's being selfish, if I'm honest. Uh, that's, that's usually what it comes down to. Uh, and uh, the question I have to ask myself in that situation is, uh, see how that works? Like, I have a microphone and she doesn't, so I can just go with whatever I want to go with. I think you all know that's not the case, but uh, in, the, in those situations, I have to ask myself, what's my big picture? Like, what's my big vision for our marriage? Is it, is it to love my wife and, and enjoy our life together and lead her closer to Jesus and, and do what Jesus said a husband should do? Give myself up for her? Is that my big picture goal, or is my big picture goal to be right about this situation? Just for clarity, it's the first one. That's my big picture goal. And so what happens to me oftentimes is I end up saying, sometimes internally and sometimes out loud to Brandy, I understand that like, life is temporary. I have a finite amount of time to be your husband, which I love doing. I don't want to waste it on this. You win. Let's just not do this anymore. Uh, I want to enjoy the time that we have together. And as I forget about the little thing, and I remember the big thing, guess what? The decision about how to handle that disagreement becomes so much easier. So we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah. There's a guy who had to say no to some small battles so that, so that he could focus on the ultimate battle. He had to say no to these little things that may or may not have been semi-important, but they were going to distract him from the big thing, the big vision that God had given to him. So I'm going to mostly tell you the story, and then we'll, we'll land right at Nehemiah 6.1 here in a few minutes. So Nehemiah was, uh, he's a Hebrew, he's Jewish, okay? now, and today in our context, after, uh, after the cross and resurrection of Christ, Jesus died for the sins of the world so that everyone can say yes to Jesus and become, uh, and have a relationship with God. But before that, the Hebrew people, they were God's chosen people. Okay? Nehemiah was a Jew, he was Hebrew, but he lived at a time when the Hebrews were actually in exile. They had been conquered by the Babylonians and basically hauled away from their own nation. Uh, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, was the hub of life and worship for the Hebrew people. 
Nehemiah was actually born about 800 miles away in Babylon. So he's never lived at a time when the Jews actually lived in their own nation. The Babylonians came in, they destroyed the city, they tore down the wall, they ransacked the temple. The whole place lies in ruins. And they took away basically anyone with useful skills to Babylon. And that's the situation that Nehemiah is born into. And he begins to learn and hear about this former life that his Hebrew people had. And, and how when they lived in Jerusalem and they followed God closely and they worshipped there, uh, things were just generally good for them as a nation. But then they turned away from God. And God's hand of protection went away and the Babylonians came in. And Nehemiah just begins to lament this and he calls out to God for help. And through his prayers and through a variety of circumstances, eventually Nehemiah is able to get the approval from the king of Babylon to go back to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the wall. The wall is particularly important because in the ancient times, if a city didn't have a protected wall around it, it would be conquered for sure. So Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem on a very specific mission. He is convinced that God has specifically called him to rebuild the wall. And he has clarity of vision, what God has called him to. Nehemiah's big picture is clear. God has called me to return to Jerusalem and rebuild this wall. And he knew what he was for. And that would help him determine what to do and what not to do. Knowing what you're for. Now, Pastor Rick told me not to talk too long, so I'll just get right to it. But most of the time in life, you get what you go for. Not always. There are circumstances beyond your control, for sure. But most of the time, you're going to get what you go for. What are you going for? What is, what is your big picture vision for your life? Where do you want to arrive? If you don't know what you're going for, then you'll just get what you get. That's how life works. If you, if you don't know where you're going, well, then you'll just be a drifter. You'll end up somewhere. If you're clear on what you're going for, then you'll be able to maintain direction when it gets cloudy. Uh, anybody ever change their major in college? Uh, a couple times? Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I, I wasn't clear, which is why it took me many years to finish college. Uh, it took me a long time to get clear. If you're clear on what you're going for, you'll be able to maintain direction when things get cloudy. Okay? Nehemiah knew what he was going for, and that clarity would help him stay on track when trouble came. And trouble came, for sure. So Nehemiah returns with this vision for what God has called him to do with his life, to spend his life on. He's going to rebuild this wall so that he has a really, really amazing goal. He's rebuilding the wall so that his people can return back to their place of worship so that they can come back to the temple. But as it turns out, not everybody was supportive of Nehemiah's vision to go back and rebuild the wall. Because when the Hebrews were hauled away into exile, guess what happened? A bunch of other people moved in. They've been gone a long time now, and a lot of their enemies are now occupying the territory that was once their nation. So they actually kind of like having power there. They don't, they don't want to give up the land so that the Hebrews can come back. And they make life really difficult for Nehemiah and the others who are committed to rebuilding the wall. And I think that's probably just a good side note for us to make is that when you're in pursuit of God's vision for your life, you're going to encounter some opposition. Just because you're doing the right thing doesn't mean it will be easy. In fact, quite often when you're doing the right thing, it will be harder. Uh, most of us have lived long enough to know that that's, that that's the case. 
So Nehemiah, they go, they rebuild this entire wall around the whole city. Like, this is no small miracle. In 52 days, um, we have all this modern technology, and it's pretty hard to get a pothole filled in 52 <laughs> days. I wish I was joking. Like, I know, it's funny, but like in the like, sad kind of way. Right? That's, so they rebuild the wall in 52 days. And in Nehemiah 6.1, they're continuing to build the wall. It's basically done, except they still need to put up the gates. And they get a message from some unfriendly neighbors, and this is what it says. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of our villages on the plain of Ono. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so Nehemiah is going full force on this mission to rebuild the wall. He's rebuilding the city that God had designated as the hub of life and worship for his people. And those who oppose him send him a message and say, hey, let's talk about this. Come meet us in Ono. Which is just so funny to me. Ono is about, it's like probably the distance from here to like the central valley. It's, you know, it's... It's a pretty good journey in those days. I wouldn't want to walk that far, but it's a pretty good, like, sidetrack for you. Now, what would you say if your enemy sent you a message that said, hey, meet me at Ono? I think the answer is so obvious, I can't even bring myself to make that dad joke. The answer is, oh, no, yeah, that was all you. That was all you. Okay. Here's the thing, though. Nehemiah knows that there's enemies. They're not in favor of what he's doing. But they're also like pretty important, powerful, influential people. So a meeting with them might not really be a bad thing. Yes, it's going to take him away from this project for an amount of time to make that trip and go do that. But possibly he could work out a deal with them. Possibly he could even maybe win them over. Uh, he might actually be able to make something good out of this situation. So he's got to make a decision. Am I going to go take this meeting in Ono, of all places? Uh, or am I going to keep doing the work? Am I going to continue building the wall? And I just want to pay special attention to his answer in verse 3. He said, But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave to go down to you? His answer is, I'm carrying on a really important work. And I'm not going to stop to go meet with you. I am going to Ono. Don't go to Ono. Think about this for a second now. Familiar verse, you may know this one. It's in Ephesians 6, verse 12. It tells us that our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. His struggle wasn't against Sanballat and Tobiah. Our struggle is against what? It's against spiritual forces of Ebenezer. Okay. Pastor Kelly, you just got really uh, like spiritual weird on me talking about this evil stuff. I get that. Here's the thing. Evil's real and everyone knows it. Even people who completely deny the spiritual realm altogether. I'll just give you some evidence, okay? Next, next time there's some horrible act of violence, terrorist attack or something like that, go watch the most God-hating, atheistic news channel there is on cable these days and see how many times they use the word evil in an hour. Evil's a real thing, just like good is a real thing. And everyone knows. You don't even actually have to have the Bible to understand that evil is real. 
No one hears about a school shooting and thinks, oh yeah, you know, natural selection, nature has decided. No one thinks that. We all recognize evil when we see it, okay? Evil's real, and the Bible tells us that our struggle is against evil. It's not against people. Nehemiah's struggle is not against these guys over here. It's against the evil that's trying to disrupt God's work for the people and in his life, okay? The voice of evil is going to say to you in a million mostly subtle ways, hey, look over here. Don't worry about that thing over there that you know you think God might want you to do that. Check this out. Come over, come over here and spend time. Give this your attention. Stop doing what you're doing over there. Come, come over here. The voice is gonna tell you that, hey, if you, you really wanna be accepted, you need to come be part of this group. You need to be like this, or you need to be like that. Evil's gonna tell you that you need to be more successful, you need to be more attractive, you need to be better at this. The people who you think love you and are gonna be there for you, they're not, because you're not good enough. They're, they're probably gonna leave. Evil's gonna tell you that you need to be smarter, that you need to be part of the right crowd, that you gotta have the right this, you gotta have the right that. Evil is gonna say, you know what, don't worry about your relationship with God. You're really busy right now. God will still be there. He'll say, don't, don't worry about like being part of a church community, because you're fine. Like, you know, faith is private, it's just you and God. Evil's gonna tell you all kinds of crazy things to try and get you to go any direction but toward God in search of happiness. Amen. This is how it works. Amen. And I think most of us have experienced that. But what you and I need to be able to say is, you know what? I am carrying on a great work right now, yes. and I cannot come down. I ain't going to Ono. I'm not going to go to Ono right now. In fact, I actually want what God has already given me. I know that God has called me to love my family selflessly. I don't have time to go to Ono right now. I'm busy doing that. I know that God has called me to trust Him and not lean on my own understanding or listen to the voice that you are, are the lies that you're speaking to me. I know that God has called me to be a man or woman of integrity. He's called me to be a light in the world. And when discouragement and despair come in and you start to get distracted or loneliness is a big one, what we need to be able to say is, I'm not going to Ono. Don't go to Ono. When lust greed and those things start to creep into your heart, don't go to Ona. Yeah. There's trouble there. Yeah. When the pressure of the world says, hey, come be this or come be that, you don't have to go to Ona. Because God actually says some other things about you. How about this? God says that you are his son or his daughter. God says that you're called by his name. The world will send you, evil will send you all kinds of messages, but God actually says that you're the head, not the tail. Think about that. He says his people are actually the first, not the last. He said that you are his masterpiece, that you're made in his image. God has plans for your life, and the lies, the deception of evil, not part of that plan. We don't have to go to Ono. So do me a favor, tell your neighbor, don't go to Ono. Don't go to Ono. Don't go to Ono. Okay? Your adversary will attempt to distract you from the big picture. That, that will happen, the big vision that God has for your life. And he'll continue to come at you with it over and over. It's a lifelong thing. But watch what Nehemiah said in verse 4. He said, four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Nope. I'm not going to. I'm too busy being what God has called me to be. God has plans for my life. And your lies are not part of that plan. I'm not going to own it. As the vision gets clearer... 
the choices become fewer. The options become fewer and the decision gets easier. Nehemiah had a clear vision of who God wanted him to be. He had a straight path in front of him. The choice was actually pretty easy for Nehemiah because he knew what he was trying to accomplish. His choice was continue moving down the path that God had set him on or get tangled up in a side trip to Ono. That actually sounds like a really easy decision, doesn't it? But it all worked out that way because he had a clear vision of what God had called him to. So uh, I heard a pastor named Tim O'Harlow. He, he has this really sort of uh, absurdly simple formula for making difficult decisions. He said that if the decision will move me closer to God's vision for my life, the answer is yes. If it's going to move me closer to the big picture, to what I know God has called me to, then my answer is yes. But if it will move me further from what God has called me to, then my answer is no. And if it's totally inconsequential, like where to park at Costco, you know what? You do you. It's up to you. But that only works if you have a clear vision of what God's called you to. And I think I could just be honest, honest enough to say, that's not always clear. Sometimes it's not as clear as I would like for it to be. So if you're thinking to yourself, I actually have no idea what God's call is. I think one of the things I would say to you is, I bet it's clearer than you think. Maybe not all of it in every detail, but I bet there's some things that actually are pretty clear. I can't decide those for you, but I can share a few of them from my own life. Some things that I know for sure that God has called me to. The first one is this. He's called me to receive his grace and to live by faith in Jesus. To walk by faith, not by sight. I know for sure that he has called me to that. So, uh, so when I'm tempted to be afraid or concerned, I have to ask myself, okay, am I walking by faith in him? The second one is connected to it. I know that he's called me to trust him with everything. Trust in the Lord with a little bit of your heart? No. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He's called me to faithfully love and serve Brandy for the rest of my life and to the best of my ability, lead her closer to Jesus. I know that 100% for sure. I don't have to wonder if God has called me to that. I know that he's called me to help my children know Jesus and to launch them into adulthood to the best of my ability. I know for sure that God has called me to that. The Bible is clear about those things. I know for sure that God has called me to help as many people as possible spend eternity with Jesus. I know for sure that God has called me to that. Something that might be a little more specific to me, because he's called all Christians to that. Something that might be more specific to me is, okay, if God has called you to help as many people as possible spend eternity with Jesus, how do I use the gifts that he's given me, the skills that he's given me to do that? And that's where... Uh, my decision-making process has really come into play. Understanding what God has called me to do and the vision that he's given me for this life has been my guiding light as I have had to make this difficult decision. And don't think that the voice, of, had, uh, the voice inside hasn't said, hey, go for safety. Go for what you know. Go for what's easy. But, but what I'm saying back is I'm carrying on an important work right now. I'm following Jesus. I don't have time to come down and go meet with fear. And even if I did, I don't want to go to Ono. There's nothing there for me. Nothing, nothing good is there. It's just a sidetrack from what God has called me to. God has given me an assignment. And I don't have time to come down and meet with fear of right now. Because he's called me to walk by faith. 
Brandon said something really profound and important um, a couple weeks ago when he was up here. I hope you didn't miss it. He used the phrase uh, that I have heard him use many times over the years, God is a God of opportunity. And the big idea was that when you follow him wholeheartedly, he will open up the right doors for you. Okay, so uh, I would say this, especially if you're in a stage of life where you're making decisions about who you're going to be, namely the younger people in the room. If you follow him wholeheartedly, he will open up the doors for you. A million voices are going to call out for your attention. That is going to happen. And I would say, don't go to, oh no, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. The clearer your vision of what that looks like, the easier it will be for you to know God's will. It could be as simple as just scaling down, God, what is your picture for me? Okay, so let me ask you a question. What is the big picture in your life? What, what vision do you have for your life? What do you know that God is calling you to do or to be or how God is calling you to live? Now, there's a lot of things you don't know. There's tons of things. There's things about God that we don't know. Uh, we know almost nothing about the future, by the way. There's so many things you don't know. Don't worry about those right now. I'm just saying based on what you do know, okay, what is God's big vision for your life? What do you know that God has called you to do? It could be that there's an action you need to take. It could be that there's something in your life that needs to get out. That's a very real possibility. It could be that it's time to re recess some of your commitments. How am I spending my time and energy and resources? It could be time to simply turn back to him. Put your trust in him, your hope in him, to rely upon him. So I'll just ask you these two questions. Two things to think about. The first one is, what do you know about God's vision for your future? What about what you don't know? What do you know? They're saying some things that are pretty clear. Some of the ones that were on my list I think are probably true for a lot of people in this room too. The second question is, what needs to stay? What needs to go? And what needs to change? I think that was three more. What needs to stay? go or change in your life in order for you to stay on the path that God has for you. I'm going to pray for you and then uh, we're going we're gonna to do a couple other things before we go. Father, we just are so thankful that we can sit here right now uh, in your presence as a heavenly father. Not as a heavenly judge, not as a heavenly authoritarian, but knowing that you love us that you have plans for us, and that you want good things in our lives. So Lord, I pray you would help us to get clarity on what we do know, on the things we know you have called us to. God, I pray you help us to get clarity on what needs to stay, what needs to go, and what needs to change. And I pray that you give us the boldness and the courage to take action on those. Thank you, Lord, that you love us too much to leave us as we are. You love us too much to just let us wander off into confusion and deception, but you sent your son to die for us so that we could know you and walk with you intimately. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Pastor Kelly.